I'm Devorah Vale. I'm a life and wellness coach and the host of this podcast. Welcome to Accessing Your Best Self, a space meant for exploring the wisdom of Torah and its practical application for improving our character. Good morning, everybody. How are you? It's so nice to see your faces. Hope everyone had a good night's sleep and we're all ready to learn some Torah. So, um, again, when tragedy strikes, we don't ask Lama, you know, why did this, why? Meaning we don't get deeply involved in, you know, if the building had been built better, if only they had done this, if only they had done that. Of course, there's important things to learn whenever there's a tragedy, if there's something that could have averted it. But the Jewish response to tragedy, especially when it strikes our own, is lama, why, or for what purpose, or what can we learn from it? How can we honor the memory of those who died? And tragedy always comes to teach us that we need to constantly be self-improving. So something that all of us can do is to take on one mitzvah, right? I was just thinking about it this morning. Um, taking on one small mitzvah in the merit of those people who are either God willing going to be found through this merit or even in the merit of the people who passed on. And in this way, it wasn't completely, it wasn't in vain, it wasn't in vain. Um, so, you know, saying a bracha on food, even once a day is a great thing to do in their memory. If you don't say Shema Yisrael at night, even just the first verse, that's a beautiful thing to take on in memory of people who die, perhaps, with Shema Yisrael on their lips. And um, if you already are davening, adding a little bit more to your davening. Anyway, I just want to say that this class is being sponsored by Leonard and Judy Dierenfeld in honor of the yard site of Judy's father. Philip Platt, Fival Ben Yosef Peretz, Alava Shalom, may his neshama have an aliyah. And Judy, you should be comforted on this day through the learning that we're doing in his merit. So just quickly, we have a mitzvah. We've been learning the laws of Lashon, of Lashon Hara, Shmir Salashon. And we just have a general mitzvah that falls into the category that helps prevent us from speaking Lashon Hara, which is the mitzvah to judge other people favorably. Dan Lechav's chus. That we're always supposed to judge people on the side of merit. The Chafetz Chaim says we should always, when we see somebody doing something and we're not sure about it, we should always judge on the side of merit and say to ourselves, well, you know what? Uh, maybe there's a detail that I'm missing. Maybe this is, um, you know, maybe I misunderstood something that they're doing. And this is actually a merit for one to do this about other people. God judges us in the way that we judge other people. When we give them the benefit of the doubt, Hashem does the same thing for us. As I've said in other classes, whenever it comes to ourselves, we always have very, very good reasons for why we did what we did. And we can always explain ourselves, even if the answer is just that I was tired or I wasn't thinking. But when it comes to other people, for some reason, we find it difficult to find even one excuse for them for perhaps why they did what they did. So we have to try and be generous. And having a generous eye and a good eye is part of being able to curb our desire to speak badly. So let me give you three situations quickly. <clears throat> if you see a regular person who does something wrong once, you have to assume that either the person made a mistake or they didn't know. Now, what about a regular person who habitually does something wrong? Okay, so you're not supposed to be naive. You're not supposed to say, oh, well, you know, I guess they didn't know. But you're supposed to try to help the person, either directly or through someone else. But you're not allowed to talk about that person. 
So if you see something that needs to be fixed or you think that the person would like to know the information, you're supposed to either tell them directly or through somebody else if you think that that will help. Otherwise, you have to stay quiet. And the last category is a category of people who really didn't grow up knowing anything about the rights and wrongs of Judaism. This is a category of its own. And if you can educate such a person, you should do so, but otherwise you're not allowed to judge. Okay, and this is a category that encompasses so many Jews today. We have a category called Tinok Shanishpa, which means Jewish people who really don't know, they weren't, even if they went to day school, they weren't brought up with the proper kind of chinuch that allowed them to really understand and know how to live a halachically Jewish life. So we have to judge them favorably. And like I said, this is so many of our Jewish brothers and sisters today. Okay, let's go back to our class on Sneas. So we're going to go back into these ideas of areas in our lives where we wouldn't think or we wouldn't necessarily um, recognize that this goes under the category of sneer. Again, when we started this class, we said a lot of people have this misconception that sneer is this very narrow topic that has all to do with women's clothing, right? Or like we said in another class, it has to do with male-female relationships and how we behave out there. But sometimes we forget that the major um, definition of tzniyas is the idea of covering one's ego. Lehatsneya means to cover. It's about developing internality. And we said that one third of the Torah, according to Micha, who tells us in last week's of Torah, that what does God want from you? He wants you to do justice, perform acts of kindness, and walk, sneya lechet imelokecha. Walk modestly, walk betsniut with Hashem. So we're going to develop this idea again in this week's class and continue this until we end this series. Okay, so there's a concept called spiritual ostentatiousness. Okay, now, you know, the same way a person shouldn't show off their material stuff, because obviously this is not covering the ego. This is not focusing on one's internality. The same is true with being spiritually ostentatious. Now, what do I mean by that? You know, I don't know if you've come across it, but, you know, sometimes there are, we'll talk about women in particular, right? Sometimes there are people who like to show off their piety, their spirituality, right? Either they might give other people correction or in themselves, when they do things, they'll do it in a loud way. So, you know, we always have to look at the context and the kavana. So let's say a person who likes to say their blessings out loud. Now, there can be two types of people who do that. One is a person who's being spiritually ostentatious. Look at me. You see how pious I am? I say my brachas out loud. I say them slowly. I have kavana on every single word. But the goal and the intention underneath it is a sort of look at me. Look how pious I am, right? And, of course, a positive way of doing this, because, of course, there is an idea of saying a bracha out loud. In other words, it's not any more showy necessarily than a man who puts on tefillin, right? Where you can see externally the tefillin. But if the intention is, let's say you're saying the bracha out loud because the person next to you can answer amen, okay, then that's fine. Then it's coming from the right place. Or like we say, if it's going to inspire the people around you, to want to do more, then also that's a good kavana. But we have to be careful with spiritual ostentatiousness. Now, I'm sure many women here don't even know what that means, okay? You know, it could be the woman who's 
you know, shuffling away during the Shimona Estray, swaying, maybe making too much noise, maybe, you know, showing a little bit too much emotion in a place where it's just not appropriate or in a way that's very histrionic and dramatic and seems a little bit off. So again, this can be bordering on spiritual ostentatiousness. And again, it really has to do with the person's kavana. Is it, look at me, everybody. Look how from I am. Everybody watch me. Or is it coming from the right place? So this can be very subtle. Okay, Rabbi Yisrael Salant, who was the leader of the Muslim movement, spent a lot of time doing uh, things to be as sanua as possible. So let me just go back a little bit. If what you're doing, you're doing to be mezake harabim, meaning you want to increase other people's inspiration around you, then it's okay, right? But if it's just showing off, that's not considered okay. And again, we can liken it to physical and material things. You know, if you have to show your money because you're, you know, you're a very wealthy person and you want to give tzedakah and you want to be able to help build a school and you want to, you know, put your grandparents' name on the building to honor them. And it's coming from the kavana of encouraging others around you to do the same. And the kavana is pure, then that's fine. And again, this corresponds to spirituality too, not to be spiritually ostentatious. So what did Rav Salant do? He spent time, um, first of all, he didn't daven overly long because he thought that that was ostentatious. So even if he was the rabbi of the shul and he was even, you know, up there at the, in, the, in, the, um, at, in the front, but even if he was just a member of the congregation, he made sure not to daven overly long because he felt that he didn't want people looking at him. Okay. Um, he also, I think I mentioned this in another class. He also tried to memorize as much of Shas by heart. Shas is the entire Talmud. Okay. So he could learn Torah without a book. So others wouldn't know that he was learning. He didn't have to look into a book, and by doing so, he was hiding his learning. Okay, there's a lot of stories about great people and great rabbis who tried to minimize who they were, how much knowledge they had, their acts of kindness, etc., because they were running away from honor. They were running from honor. It says about honor that if you run from honor, honor will pursue you. And we're going to talk about that, but they didn't want honor to pursue them. So, you know, the question is, you know, if you're running away and honor is going to pursue you anyway, so what good does it do you to not want honor? Okay, we're going to explore that. Um, so I just want to give you another example. Um, so again, on the one hand, you know, being outwardly pious, doing mitzvahs, saying brachas with kavana out loud. This is the idea of kina sofrim marbe Torah, marbe chachma. That one good thing that comes out of this is that there's one kind of jealousy which is considered very good. And that's the jealousy that you have for another person's spiritual level. Now, if you're jealous over their spiritual level, and that goads you on to want to increase your own spiritual level, it inspires you to want to become greater, then that's a good kind of, um, you know, showing off from the person in front of you, so to speak. So again, back to the person who's doing the act. They have to be intellectually honest and ask themselves, are you inspiring others to grow or are you just showing off? So Rebetzin Dina Spoonmaker gives an example of a student in Michlala that, that she had who was extremely bright, very, very bright. And she got a phone call about this girl when she was in Shaduchim. And what she told the mother is not only is she brilliant, but she's extremely sneered. 
She has SNES. That's incredible. And she told her to ask another teacher about her who, who, who teach, taught a very high-level class in the school. And this teacher said, what, you know, the, the, the mother wanted to know what, how, you know, how is her sneeze indicated? What, what about her makes her so sneeze? Is her neckline up to the top like mine today? Is her skirt down to the floor? You know, um, what is it about her that makes her so sneeze? So this was the answer that they gave, that she would ask questions in class at a very high level. And it was clear to everybody in the class that she was a brilliant girl. But then after class, she would come over to ask additional questions to this teacher. And she said her tsnias was expressed in the fact that she would only ask questions in class that she felt were applicable to everybody in the class, that everyone in the class would appreciate knowing the answer to. But if she felt that her questions were sort of like out of the ballpark and they weren't necessarily questions that the average girl or a person with average intelligence would have, the way her sneeze manifested itself is she saved these questions for private after the class was over and went to the teacher. And when she was asked about this, she basically said, I don't have to expose my brilliance or, you know, my need for my answers to everybody because I know it doesn't interest them. It's not a question that most people would ask. So the questions that she asked publicly were modest and the questions that she asked privately were exceptional because she was sensitive to others not being interested in the answer to those questions. So again, just a regular person who, you know, when the when they were calling about her, the teacher said she's extremely sneeze. And the way that it came across was that she minimized her brilliance when she felt that it wasn't serving the people around her. She kept it private. And this is an example of somebody who has that sense of not being, you know, intellectually ostentatious spiritually ostentatious and knowing how to cover the ego. Okay, doing things anonymously or trying to hide is one way that we cover ego. But is that the appropriate thing to do in every case? So the answer is no, right? We have to be um, sensitive to when it's a good thing to be discreet, to hide oneself. And when actually it's a better idea to step up to the plate and expose ourselves, if you like. So let's say doing a kindness anonymously or letting somebody know. For example, let's say there's a sick person and there are a group of women that got together to send a platter of food and wrote down on a card the people's names who are involved in, the plat in this gift. So obviously, here, you don't need to be Tsanua. You should put your name on the card because this person, this sick person, is going to get chizuk from the fact that you were part of this mitzvah. There's actually a um, Gemara that talks about the idea that when you do something for somebody else, you should let them know. And the, the example that they give is somebody who feeds someone else's child. You know, let's say some kid is playing at your house with your kid and you end up feeding them dinner or you end up, you know, feeding them lunch or even giving them a snack so that they won't be hungry. So this is an interesting thing that this is a, written in the Gemara, but it's basically saying that, you know, you should let the parent know, hey, by the way, I fed your kid today, right? Or I took your kid, I, 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 I picked your kid up from school. Um, well, obviously, you're going to let them know so they don't pick them up themselves and, and uh, find that there's no kid there. But let's say you gave them a ride somewhere and the parent would never have known this. So the Gemara says you should let people know. Now, why are you letting them know? Are you letting them know to say, you see what a great person I am? You see how much chesed I do for you? I sure hope you're going to do chesed for me like this one day. No, what Rashi says here, and this is a very um, 
subtle type of thing, how to get this right and how not to get this wrong so that it doesn't look like you're bragging. But he says, actually, when you tell people about the things that you've done for them, you're increasing love between the Jewish people. It increases love among Jews. So Rashi says you should tell people this. So basically, we have to know when to use sniut and when it is not appropriate. We always have to ask ourselves, al on ma, you know, what's the accounting? What are my motives? Am I doing this because I want to show off? I want to say something great about myself? Or am I trying to increase love and let you know, I did this for you. I just want you to know that. Okay, it really depends how it comes across and how you're saying it. So the way that we apply this is um, with our children. Okay, there are certain things that build self-esteem for a child externally and internally. So Rebison Spetner, who's one of the Chinuch Abanim experts in Israel, she is a parenting expert. She says... You know, let's say you have a 10-year-old who's very self-conscious. She's taller than everybody else. She's bigger than others her age. And the mother asks the question to Rebetzin Spetner, should I buy her more expensive clothing if it makes her feel better? And what Rebetzin Spetner tells these mothers is that a child who's struggling with self-esteem do need nicer things. You should make sure they feel good about how they look. It's not about spoiling them. They actually need this. Another example she gives is if 60% of the class has a certain backpack or they're wearing a certain style that's considered normal, then yes, you should spend the extra so she can feel like she's part of the gang, like she's, you know, like everybody else. Because this builds self-esteem. And um, and also, together with this, you can give her a yasher koach for not being so self-conscious. Sorry, this is the other idea, though. Okay, so it's important to make a person fit in externally. That's not considered spoiling. On the other hand, what you really want to build in a child, and even in ourselves, are the things that they do that come from an internal place. Because that's where your real self-confidence and your real self-esteem comes from. So at the same time that you want your child to feel like she's fitting in externally, you want to focus on the internal applause as well. So for example, if a child, you know, gives something up to another kid and nobody knows that they did it except for you, when you build a child up of, you know, wow, Yashir Koach, that you were able to give up something that was very important to you for somebody else. You're building their internality, you know, or you could tell a child, you know, maybe your teacher doesn't know about what you did, but, you know, I know what you did. Hashem knows what you did. And this is a way of building internality. So when a child does something that's ne not necessarily um, what everybody else is doing, but they do it because it's the right thing to do, or they do it because their internal self tells them that this is what Hashem would want them to do, when you give them a yashir koach for that, when you tell them, you know, you're amazing, that you didn't go with your friends, that you weren't um, influenced, what you're doing, again, is you're building a deeper sense of self-esteem, a deep sense of internality, which, again, is the source of sneu, of being able to say, um, you know, even if everybody else is doing something, I'm going to do something differently. And even if nobody knows, this is going to build me internally. So what is the idea of this? And, and I'm going to talk here a little bit about, unfortunately, if you remember way back when the Harnof massacre 
that happened in Israel um, about seven years ago in Jerusalem, 2014. You remember in a shul in Harnof, some terrorists came in and were literally killing Jews while they had their tefillin on, while they were in the middle of governing. And it was a horrific, horrific thing. But there's some stories that came out of there that, again, illustrate this idea of tzniu, of covering the ego and doing what's right. So one of the people who died in that incident was a man named Rav Aryeh Kapitsky. And what he was doing before he died, he was throwing chairs at the attackers and he was yelling to everybody, you run, you get out, and I'll fight. I'll take care of these guys. So again, now this was a guy who in his normal daily life was always the one who ran to shul early and put out chairs for everybody in the shul every week. He was used to covering up his ego. He was used to thinking about others. It was natural to him. Reminds me of the more recent story of the guy in Maron. If you remember that story, how moments before he died, after when he was saying Shema Yisroel, the person who was lying on top of him heard him say Shema Yisroel before he died. But even more incredible, he whispered in the guy's ear of the, of the, of the boy who was lying on top of him, I don't want you to ever think that you were responsible for my dying here, that the fact that you were on top of me is the reason that I didn't survive. Hashem is the one who's taking my life. And please don't go through your life with the remorse or guilt that, you're, that you had anything to do with this. So here again is somebody who had this sni'ut of covering his own ego, which he obviously was doing his entire life or working on his entire life, because at the moment of death, his true self was showing itself and his concern for other people, his ability to cover his own, his own self, his own ego. It was natural to him. So another person who was nifter in the Harnov massacre was a great rabbi named Rav Moshe Tversky. He was actually one of my son's rebbies in Rabbi Meiselman's yeshiva, Taurus Moshe. Rabbi Meiselman, the same Rabbi Meiselman whose book we quoted, uh, Jewish Women and Jewish Law. And he was really a tremendous tzaddik. And one of the ways that they described him at the shiva is like this, quote, he lived his life with only one audience. And that was Hashem. All his life he was thinking, what is Hashem thinking? And asking. And he was also asking, and what does Hashem want from me? And this is the idea of Tznius. The idea of Tznius is I have one audience. Why am I doing what I am do what I'm what what I am doing? And who am I doing it for? So how does this apply to us as women? So when you're doing something that you know Hashem would approve of, then you should do it without reservation. In other words, even if the people around you have questions about what you're doing, or they're, you know, judging you in terms of what you're doing. If you know that your intentions are for Hashem, then you should not second guess yourself. So she gives, Dina Schoomaker gives some very practical examples. She says, you know, let's say you want to, you know, people need a place to come for Shabbat. And normally you invite people for Shabbos all the time. But one week, your husband says, you know, he has a preference that you shouldn't invite anybody that week. So it's going to keep you from doing chesed. And you say, so you tell the guests who want to come, no. And um, 
she says, basically, do you have to explain yourself? You know, if you're the type of person who does chesed, let's say certain people who come all the time to you, and one week you have to say no because your husband isn't feeling well, okay? Or he really doesn't want guests. He wants to be alone with the family. So she says, if you know that you're doing this for the right reason, because, you know, your husband doesn't want it, you don't have to feel like you have to explain yourself. Now, you can say to the person, you know, we're not going to have guests this week, but maybe your husband doesn't want to disclose the fact that he's feeling sick or he's tired of, of having guests, etc. So what you're doing is you're putting your shalom bias, and maybe you really like to have guests. But the, but the point here is that you're putting your shalom bias ahead of a mitzvah that other people might question, why aren't you doing this mitzvah? Um, or let's say she gives another example, a child to whom you give something that's way out of your price budget. And others know about this. It's something that they can externally see. And they look at it and wonder, why do you do this? So why do we have to explain to other people why we're, let's say, giving this kid an extra gift or buying this person, you know, beautiful clothing that's out of our budget that other people might say, gee whiz, where does she get the money to buy these designer clothes for her kids, right? She says, why do we have to explain to anybody what we're doing if it's going to jeopardize the privacy of that child? You know, we don't have to explain why we let the kids skip school or get that toy or wear that outfit. Because the one audience knows why. To Hashem, it's clear. So why do we feel the need to explain it to all our neighbors? So the reason that we do this is because we don't want to feel different, right? We feel like we need to explain ourselves. And it's usually, when, when we do this, it's usually, we usually do this out of our own discomfort. Not because we're feeling like, you know, what we're doing is for the one audience, is for Hashem, who knows our true intentions. And nobody else has to know, especially if we're sacrificing the privacy of those people or persons that we're doing this act for, that other people, let's say, are questioning. Okay, so we all have heard of this idea of Maris Ayan. Maris Ayan is when you worry about what other people think, right? And it stops you from doing a certain act because, you know, it might be questionable. I remember when I was a kid in the olden days when margarine, I guess, was still something new, right? And we have it on the table with hot dogs and chicken or whatever. And my father used to use that as an example of Maris Ayan, that if people don't know that it's margarine, they're going to think there's butter on the table, right? But the, but the idea here is that when do you have to worry about Maris Ayan or what we'd call fitting into the community in this case, you know? And when you don't have to worry about what other people think, when society notices certain externals or where a certain community that you live in has certain sensitivities and you're not following them. Now, they may not necessarily be, you know, violations of halakha that you're doing, but you're not following those because, you know, you're not comfortable with it. One of the um, examples Rebison Schoonmaker gives is with the way women dress in certain communities. So you might live in a community where the, the um, level of sneas of dress is on a very, very high level. But you don't dress that way because, first of all, your husband doesn't like you dressing that way. And the way that you do dress is within the parameters of halacha, but it's not necessarily the strictest, you know, parameter. Because we know in halacha, it's a, you know, it's a road that people travel and there is different ways that you can travel down and, and still be in the parameter of halacha. So what she's saying is you don't have to be apologetic for the way you dress because you know that the reason you're dressing this way 
or the reason you're wearing this shaital is because your husband prefers you in that shaital. Anyway, uh, he just came in to tell me to take off the shaital. No, he doesn't like the shaital. Okay. Anyway, listen. So, um, so again, the question is always, why are you doing what you're doing? You don't have to worry about what other people think. If you know that what you're doing is the right thing that you're doing, that it's Hashem who you're concerned with, and you're developing your internality and your relationship with Hashem by saying yes, by saying no, by doing things a little bit differently, as long as they're coming again with pure intention. Okay, I just want to see what I want to talk about now. Yeah, I hope I'm not um, being confusing. So on the one hand, Sneas is something where you have to judge the situation, when you should be quiet, when you should be discreet, when you should not expose yourself, and other times where if you didn't expose yourself or tell people what you're doing, um, it wouldn't be a good thing to do. So... If your secrecy would cause a rift, then you have to explain yourself. You might have to explain your reasoning. I'm sorry, we can't have guests for Shabbos this week, um, you know, because we're just going to be taking a break right now. You don't have to necessarily be, you know, my husband's feeling sick or he doesn't want any guests this week. Um, But just explain it so that you're not being too discreet that it causes other people to question you. So again, it's always a balance. Um, Back to this Harnok catastrophe. Again, back to Rabbi Tversky, Satsal. One of the things that really comforted his wife was that the way and comforted everybody Um, who lost somebody in that massacre is that they knew that they were dying at a moment when they were involved in something that was so holy, right? They were all involved in prayer. You know, they didn't die eating a piece of chocolate cake. They died in a shul, davening to Hashem, very much like in Maron, the people who died there. And this is how their neshama left the world. During the Shiva, it says that um, somebody, I think Rabbi Schoonmaker was there, and the, his wife, Rabbi Tversky's wife, was talking about how he'd go to the mikvah every morning. And the morning that he died, his wife was curious whether or not he had gone to the mikvah before he had gone to shul that morning. And she sent one of her kids to go to the car and check whether his towel was wet or not. And she discovered that the towel was wet. And this gave her an incredible amount of comfort. Because not only did he go to the mikvah most mornings, I I don't want to say every morning, that's, you know, he tried to go every morning. But she had this added comfort that that morning, he'd gone to the mikvah before heading into the shul. So this extra um, um, Kedusha, that he, this act that he had done before he died was a comfort for her. So back to this idea, whoever runs after Kavod, Kavod runs away from you. So if a person doesn't want Kavod, what good is it that the honor is running after him? The idea here is that even though the person didn't want honor in his life, honor pursued him. When does it pursue him and actually catch up to him? Only after he leaves the world. So somebody who spends their whole life shunning honor, trying to minimize who they are, 
covering their ego because they don't want people to give them too much cover in this world. Because we said, you know, if people can become used to cover and desire it and need it. And it's one of those three things that in Pirkei Avos, it tells us remove a person from the world, right? Kina, Taiva, and Kavod. Remove a person from the world, meaning that if you become addicted to any of these things, jealousy, the need for honor, or the satiation of desires, then you can't enjoy life. You can't live a, a, a good life. So here this person is running away from honor. And when does it catch up to him? Only after he leaves the world. And Hashem does this because they won't be pained by the honor because they're no longer alive. But the person is honored afterwards. People realize how great the person was. Hashem doesn't let it catch them until after their death because that is what the person would have wanted. They wouldn't have wanted anybody, the honor to catch them in their lifetime. So usually what happens with a person like this who's running away from Kavod is so many beautiful stories come up after the person dies. The Kavod that was running after them doesn't catch up until they pass away. So in order to really be able to internalize this idea of Hashem being the only audience that matters, we really have to use visualization and we have to have a mantra that brings this down to real life and can help us. It only matters what Hashem thinks. It doesn't matter what everybody else thinks. Mantras are good because they help us access an idea throughout the day. So the mantra for Tznias would be, what would my one audience think of this? Or why do I care what others think when only one audience, there's only one audience that really matters? And the Pasuk and Micha that tells us to walk modestly with Hashem means even when you're alone, even with yourself, that you have to walk modestly, even in private with yourself. So you have to be your own audience and watch yourself. I made a meal for someone, even though I had strep and I was so busy. Wow, I'm really something great. Look what I'm doing. I'm amazing. So there's a concept of celebrating yourself that's not considered sni'ut, that's not considered modest. I once heard somebody ask um, in a class, is it okay to be proud of your accomplishments? And Rav Noah Weinberg would say, don't be proud. Proud is not a positive attribute. But when you do something good for somebody else, take, uh, take pleasure in that. He says, take pleasure and not pride. Because the pleasure that you get from having done something good gives you more energy to do even more. So there's an idea here when it comes to Sneut of a concept of not celebrating yourself too much. Okay, there's nothing wrong with taking pleasure in your accomplishments. But we're not supposed to go overboard. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't validate yourself and appreciate yourself. But there's a point at which there are diminishing returns. If a person self-lauds themselves too much, when it gets to be too much self-celebrating, too much lauding of oneself in a certain way. It's, there's an uh, expression in the Gemara that says, my inner organs should clap for me. This lauding borders on haughtiness. Remember, Hashem is your only audience. Don't be your own audience in a way that's not Sanua. So again, even when we're able to do wonderful things and fantastic things, Part of Sneos is taking pleasure in the fact that 
Hashem gave me the opportunity to do this mitzvah, that I'm able to do it, that Hashem put it in front of me. And we have to be very careful not to say, ha, look what I did. That schlepper across the street never does any of these nice things that I do. I'm always the first one to be there for other people. How come they're not like me? I'm the one who, you know, runs to do a mitzvah and they, you know, they do nothing. They just sit there and do nothing. So that's when the self-celebration contradicts the idea of Sneas, because even in private, we're saying that Sneas applies, even in the way that you view yourself and your deeds. So there's such such a thing as healthy self-validation versus haughtiness. So what's the difference? If you're putting down somebody else at the same time that you're doing that good act, you know that it comes from haughtiness. Look what I do, right? Look how little other people are doing. So in your self-talk, you're putting down somebody else. No one in my neighborhood would do this. My mother-in-law would never put herself out the way I do. So that's already beyond normal celebration of self to the point that it's not Sanua. Or when we compare ourselves to others and look down on others. So Rav Schefter asks the question, what is the antidote to this self-lauding that results in us putting other people down around us? He says the antidote is Zrizus. Zrizus we learned about alacrity, moving quickly. And he says, keep on moving. Zrizus will help with this. You don't have time for your Yetzirah to stick to your actions and your thoughts. There are people who we all know who go from one mitzvah to the next without sitting and thinking about how much they do. It's a luxury for the Yetzirah to sit back and think about how amazing I am, right? We all know that expression, ask a busy person, right? The busy person is so busy at the same time that they seem to have so much time, right? Because they're always able to do it because they're in this flow of zrizos. They don't have time to just sit back and say, wow, look at how amazing I am. So he says, if you sort of get into this flow of doing and the pleasure that comes from doing, the Yetzirah won't be able to catch up with you to say, look how great I am and look at all these shlemiels around me who do nothing. Because then that borders again on gaiva, on arrogance, and not being uh, self-celebratory in the right way, in the Sneas type of way. Okay, I'm going to end a little bit early today. But that's, I, I hope that some of the, these ideas are clear. I mean, our main theme for today's class is the idea of having one audience. That as long as we're intellectually honest and recognize that when we do what we do, we're trying to do things in a way that pleases Hashem that we ask the question, what does Hashem want from me in this situation? What's the proper response? What's the right thing to do? And when we do this, it enables us to not worry so much about what other people think and to do things, you know, for our own ego, for what other people will say. And, you know, in order to look good in the eyes of other people. Again, you know, of course, we have to be socially appropriate. And at times we have to reveal what we're doing, even at the expense of, you know, showing other people, I did this for you. I, I fed your kid. I gave somebody a ride today in order to increase love. And we have to show what we do. We have to put our name on the card. We have to uh, uncover ourselves. But we have to recognize in every situation what's the right way to behave. Are we uncovering our ego at the expense of that one audience with God? Or are we doing it at a time when it will increase love and friendship between us and other people? You know, we want to be able to tell them 
why we're not doing what we might usually do, have them over for Shabbos in a way that's still discreet and protects the privacy of those around us. Okay, ladies, thank you so much for listening today. Have a wonderful day. Judy, thank you so much for sponsoring and your father's neshama should have an aliyah. Maybe you want to tell us a little bit about your dad if, if, if you would. Sure. That would be great. He, he was a wonderful man. He was a wonderful man. Um, he lived um, to 94 years of age. It's about four years since he passed away. And he lived by himself. He, at the end, he had a lot of caregivers. He didn't want to leave his house. And um, he, he was one of these people that always looked for the good in other people. Um, always saw the good. Did a lot for people very quietly. And um, worked very, very hard. A good part of his life as a tailor. And uh, and then in his more senior years, um, gave a whole lot to the Jewish community. And um, I miss him. And I appreciate you, your class and um, that you did it in his memory. I, I really do. Thank you so much for sharing that. And it sounds like the class was apropos in terms of his looking for the good in other people and doing for the community, and his neshama should have an aliyah. Amen. Thank you for sharing. Amen. Hey, ladies, we'll see you, God willing, next week on Sunday. Have a great week, and good Shabbos. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed this class. To sponsor a future class, or for a complimentary and completely confidential coaching session with me, as I support you in reaching your goals and actualizing your true potential, please email me at DeborahVale at Yahoo.ca. That's Deborah, D-E-V-O-R-A-H, Vale, V-A-L-E, at Yahoo.ca.